It's now time to go around the nation in Division Three football. And here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. Thanks, Dave. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Thanks for downloading us and tuning us in here on uh, week two of the Division Three football season, the podcast for September 14th of 2015. And if I had to pick a theme for this week, uh, Keith, it would be something along the lines of new teams getting started because not only did we have a bunch of teams in action that hadn't played last week, such as three of the top five, uh, but we also had a couple of nice wins by teams and programs that are still relatively new and others that have been down on their luck of late uh, got some wins as well. We'll talk about some of those games later on in this podcast, but Keith, one of the games I'm thinking about right here in the top of the show is one of our top 25 battles where number three Linfield jumped out early and often in rolling over 22nd ranked Chapman 52-14. This is now three meetings in the past 14 for Linfield and three of the past 11 games for Chapman that these two teams have faced off. And it seemed that after a seven-point game at the start of last season that the Wildcats have figured the Panthers out. This one was all Linfield from the jump. It led 45-7 early in the fourth. And the real impressive part to me was that the Wildcats scored on a block punt, a punt return, and an interception return and they managed to roll up 410 yards of offense. If Linfield looks this good against the playoff team from last season, it would lead us to believe that they're going to be an elite team like they often are. You know, uh, Keith, I'll probably uh, just come out of the closet right now and say I was one of those people that changed my vote to Linfield last week. Even though Linfield hadn't played, even though Whitewater hadn't played, and I had been voting for Whitewater previously, uh, and even though Mount Union had certainly taken care of business as expected against Bethany, I just, you know, some, some of the stuff I read over the intervening six weeks, you know, especially in the process of doing kickoff, just makes me feel like uh, Linfield has a shot to uh, earn that number one ranking this year. Well, I've had that feeling before about Linfield. I've had it about Mary Harden Baylor last season, right up until Linfield won at Mary Harden Baylor. So uh, this year, I think I'm I'm uh, going chalk a little bit more at the start. I, I really have to see um, how Whitewater looks under Kevin Bullis, and it looked pretty good on Saturday. Uh, I had to see, you know, what Mount Union's going to look like with a quarterback besides Kevin Burke under center, and uh, yeah, you have to see what what Linfield. And Mary Harden Baylor and Wesley and and everybody else, you know, whoever wins the CCIW, uh, how they look. Uh, but but if if you have if you're judging solely on what Linfield did on Saturday, uh, they they looked good in every phase of the game. For Whitewater, the question for me is going to be, you know, they played uh, Bellhaven this week, handled them easily. Uh, they play Finlandia, which basically uh, the varsity shouldn't even take the field, in all honesty, next week. Um, and then they, they're going to go to Morningside, and Morningside has uh, been blowing the doors off of their first two uh, similarly outmatched opponents as well. I don't, uh, We're not going to know what to make of uh, Whitewater until they start playing Wyatt games. Yeah, and to be honest, the WIAC is a little up and down so far in the first couple of weeks. You know, you've seen uh, Stout take one on the chin. You saw um, Stevens Point lose the, to a team from the MIAA. So this could be a kind of up and down weird year in the WIAC too. And, and then we'll just have to uh, see how things turn out. But I, I think, you know, you expect more of the same from Whitewater. In the theme of new teams, uh, a couple of uh, teams with new guys under center on uh, on Saturday. Uh, one of them in uh, Cortland State and another one of them in Thomas Moore. Both of those teams uh, saw their number two guys uh, lead their teams to big offensive days and wins. Um, we will talk about the uh, some other stuff about that a little bit later. But uh, Thomas Moore, you know, the second week uh, in two weeks that they've come out and just completely blown the doors off of somebody. Today or on Saturday, it was Brennan Kuntz, uh, 13 of 18 passing. 
uh, for 228 yards. They basically didn't miss a beat, and they uh, they rolled over Hanover. Yeah, so Thomas Moore has been been super impressive these first couple weeks. It's now 132 to seven in their first two games, and, and last week was the more impressive opponent in St. John Fisher. That was a 48-0 win on Saturday. It was 84-7 against Hanover, a record-setting day, and uh, probably a pretty emotional day uh, in Crestview Hills, Kentucky, because um, the Saints were honoring Mitch Kramer, who was the player who, who wore number 12 and passed away in August. Uh, and so they had the, the 12th man shirts on there. Um, but I think now, you know, as we look at Thomas Moore and, and the offense is, is prolific, you know, no matter who's, who's touching the ball, um, you got to really start to consider where these guys belong in the top 25. You know, we have them, we have them in the top 25, but, but, uh, you know, are they a top 15 team? Should we switch where they, where they are and where maybe Washington and Jefferson is certainly something to think about because these first two weeks have been really impressive. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I always remember, or at least I try to remember when I, I think about the Thomas Moore W and J comparison is that uh, the last two years that game was played at W and J for whatever reason, two years in a row. Uh, and that game comes back to Thomas Moore this year. So it'd be interesting to see how that turns out. Uh, the number two quarterback at Cortland state got the call on a Saturday as well. I think we're going to talk about that game a little bit later. And we're going to talk about our top 25 battle a little bit later, the head to head game between Warburg and Bethel that I was at. Let's talk about though, the top 25 upset under the lights on Saturday where Harden Simmons knocked off 18th ranked Texas Lutheran 35-27. Last week we talked about that punt return team for Harden Simmons, but uh, no big returns for the Cowboys this week, just some straight-up football. No, and to be honest, the things that jumped off the box score to me weren't as as much things that Harden Simmons did well as things that uh, Texas Lutheran did poorly. He got 15 penalties for 147 yards. I mean, that's a big, big chunk of yardage to give up penalty-wise. Uh, yeah, the three interceptions by Trenton White. I mean, those are the type of things that that'll get a team beaten, ranked or not. Yeah, and one of those interceptions came at a particularly inopportune time. Beginning of the third quarter, Harden Simmons fumbled a punt return on its own 16, and TLU looked like it was in good position to cut into the deficit, which was 2014 coming out of the halftime. But White threw a pass into the end zone, and the very next play and was intercepted. Um, you know, this puts Texas Lutheran behind the eight ball already, right here in September. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the game you circle when that's when their schedule comes out is is October twenty fourth at Mary Harden Baylor. That's going to be a tough game for them to win anyway. And so you figure the the even if they win all the games, but Mary Harden Baylor, they're going to be on the playoff bubble. And now you have an early season loss to Harden Simmons. Not an easy game next weekend either. They're at home, but they're home at home against Louisiana College. So uh, I, they they need to bounce back quickly and. Uh, do you know? I guess we shouldn't forget that they did play Mary Harden Baylor tough in the in the playoffs. It was a twenty seven twenty game, but that was the game that was split over two days because of lightning and, and who knows, uh, you know how how accurate that result is in forecasting what might happen in a game this October that presumably wouldn't be interrupted. <laughs> we can we can always hope. Uh, I suppose it's a uh, it's not entirely uh, unlikely though. I know there was a game in uh, another division this week that started on Thursday and uh, had to uh, be finished up on Saturday. And uh, we had a game in Division Three like that last year when uh, Manchester played against Trine. So uh, anything is possible. Also, of course, this makes the Harden Simmons uh, Mary Harden Baylor game coming up later in the season a little bit more interesting as well. And we'll have uh, you know we'll talk about that more as that uh, part of the season comes along. 
Uh, we're going to move along, however, and jump into game balls. And I'm going to give my game ball to Malik Presley, the wide receiver for FDU Florham. This is the guy who's pulled in a combined 33 receptions in his past two games. Uh, he ended last season with a conference record 18 catches, and he started this year with a 15-reception, 309-yard performance to lift the Devils past TCNJ 34-29 on Saturday afternoon. Presley's accomplishment last fall probably slid under the radar a bit because it came in FDU's 19th consecutive loss, but this one came in a victory and one that broke the mold because TCNJ had all the advantages on Saturday. They had the home field, uh, they had an extra game and a week of practice under their belt, uh, having uh, played last week, and they had more success last year. They were coming in from a better uh, from a better uh, area, a better starting point. Good start to the season for a kid, though, in Presley who could break some records if Mac opponents don't slow him down. And I, and I need to throw in some props to the guy who threw him the ball. That's Tyler Moore, the uh, FDU quarterback. He threw five touchdowns in the win on Saturday. Yeah, well, there were some pretty silly receiving numbers across the country uh, on Saturday and, and, and on Friday as well, and, and we'll get to some of those. I think for my game ball, I'm very tempted to give it to Becker's Jacob Holmes, who ran for 232 yards, kicked three field goals, and kicked an extra point as the Hawks upset MIT 37-26, but since you'll mention that later in the podcast, I'm going to go off the beaten path for my game ball. Central, Central of Iowa, Central kicker Aaron Marcellus missed a 25-yard field goal attempt and an extra point in a two-point loss, a surprising loss, honestly, to, to Benedictine last weekend, and he missed from 42 yards out early on Saturday against Monmouth. So he hadn't made a field goal in his career. He's a junior, and he's already he already has a tough miss on Saturday, and they send him out there uh, as time runs out, uh, or as time is about to run out, and he kicks a 42-yarder to force overtime, and it's such a, a momentum-swinging play that the Dutch come up with an interception and a score early in overtime, and they beat the Scots to avoid their first 0-2 start since 1980. Remember, Central's been like a, a dominant program in Iowa uh, for many years, even though they've, they've kind of fallen back to uh, you know just a little bit better than 500 recently. Now, Central wouldn't have even been close to overtime without – uh, wide receiver Zach Martinelli, who had touchdown catches of 48 yards early in the game and 99 yards uh, in the second half. Uh, but it's often said games come down to one play, and Central sent a kicker out who had given them little reason to be confident, and he drills a 42-yard kick to keep them alive and send the game to overtime. That's my game ball. Keith, you were talking about uh, Central success in the Iowa Conference uh, previous decade and some of it in the previous century. Uh, this past week, I was going through a lot of old Team of the Week uh, files, kind of still converting some stuff from the old server over to the new one, even though we moved here onto Presto about uh, sometime in 2010, I think. Five years ago, at least, I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Going through all those ones where uh, I was – thinking primarily of punters because the name that sticks in my head is Curtis Brondike. You remember a punter for Central who had some incredible run where like three weeks running he had just great numbers and he was a pretty good punter throughout his entire career. But I know that they've often had uh, strong punting and strong kicking in Pella, Iowa. So that's the uh, that's the source of my uh, diversion there. And I forgot to bring the timer for this podcast, so uh, we're going to have to keep each other honest. My apologies. I can, just go, I can just go boom every now and again if it makes you move along. There you go. Sounds good. Um, looking at teams on the rise. Uh, maybe Albion. Uh, you know, these guys weren't on my ballot, and they won't be unless they find a way to play some defense. But honestly, after rolling up scores in the 60s against a middle-of-the-pack team from the WIAC and a middle-of-the-pack team from the CCIW, normally that's a team that I would vote for. Uh, even though we're recording this podcast before Sunday's voting is all in, I can see where some people would put them on their ballots. 
Uh, Saturday's win was a 60-49 game on the road at Augustana, which is not a short trip. It's all the way across Michigan and then all the way across Indiana and then all the way across Illinois over to the uh, over the border with Iowa. So uh, let's see. Dominique Bonna is having a great season at quarterback for the Britons. I saw him back in his second career game when he was forced into the game at Benedictine because of an injury to starter Spencer Krause. He couldn't hold on to the ball or the lead on that night, but he's come a long way. Uh, uh, by the way, Keith, I assume that you read Ryan Tipps's bit about pronunciation in last week's Around the Nation feature. I did read that. Well, Michigan has a couple of them, too. I understand it's proper to pronounce the school I saw last week as Alma and that the Britain's school is pronounced as Albion. So with that long list, somehow Ryan didn't mention that mis- that people mispronounce his alma mater, Wabash. That's being too impartial, if you ask me. Minus 10 points for Hufflepuff on that one. Well, since you brought up pronunciations, I got some corrections from last week that I need to get to. Um, I'm now well aware that Mount Union's quarterback is Tyrese Scott and his go-to wide receiver is Roman Namdar, not Namdar. <laughs> All right, so... Those names pronoun- might come up again, yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. We'll definitely, uh, I definitely need to get those correct. Uh, as far as risers go, with a couple of the top also receiving votes teams uh, out, just outside the top 25, with a couple of them losing and not even reaching 10 points in, uh, in Christopher Newport and, and Delaware Valley, uh, it's going to be hard to ignore the numbers that Guilford is putting up. They've outscored their opponents 132-20 to 20 now after a 55-7 win over Methodist, and that followed a 77-13 Week 1 win over Greensboro. Now, I don't know that we can accurately judge the Quakers until they face some tougher competition, but those are the kind of scores, rightly or wrongly, that catch voters' eyes. I think more deserving teams to sneak in the poll would probably be the two just behind Guilford in votes last week, Harden-Simmons and Cortland State, since they both notched pretty impressive wins. Yeah, man, uh, talking about what we can judge Guilford on, I don't think we can judge Guilford on its non-conference schedule at all. I mean, Guilford has been playing these same three teams for about a decade, and it's definitely time for a change if this is a, if, if this is a program that wants to be considered a contender. You know, definitely keep Greensboro as a local rival, uh, but other than that, you know, go out and find somebody who's going to help you in the regional rankings. The Quakers would be a really tough candidate for an at-large uh, bid at 9-1 and one with that slate, obviously not knowing what the rest of the country looks like, but uh, those are the kind of teams that, uh, that tend to stay home at nine and one um, looking at teams that are going to take a fall. I'm going to start with Wartburg uh, who I saw this week and Bethel, of course, uh, after the loss, but I think Wartburg is not quite what it was last year, at least not so far last year. Wartburg made it look easy against Augsburg in week one and dominated the second half of the game versus Bethel in week two this year. Neither of those things happen. Now, what I did see on Saturday were some bright spots. Uh, Brandon Domeyer still looked good when he was in there at running back, although Wartburg only gave him the ball like 13 times. Uh, Logan Schrader had really just one productive target in the passing game, and that was uh, Robbie Anstead, who had 124 of the 214 receiving yards. So somebody else is definitely going to have to develop there. And Bethel's secondary looked really good against the rest of the receivers, breaking up seven passes. Uh, Logan Schrader was just 14 of 30 passing on the afternoon. Uh, Warburg definitely has a ways to go to be comparable to last season, but they know this, and they know they got a good test on Saturday. Here's what Coach Rick Willis told me afterward. At the, last year, the first two game, the first two games were both great. This year, the first game was, you know, a tough win against a good team, a, a team that played us tough. And then, but coming up here and, and beating these guys on the road is is no small achievement. They've got a great program, and that was an absolute battle. So we like where we are, but we we and we think we can grow from here. 
Unfortunately, this great series between Warburg and Bethel is ending next year as uh, Warburg is picking up Monmouth and uh, Nebraska Wesleyan is joining the Iowa Conference. So uh, we've had some great games both in the regular season and the playoffs, but uh, we won't be seeing them at least in the regular season after this year. Yeah, I think I caught on the broadcast that the, the it's gone four uh, four for Bethel and three for Warburg in that series, which seems like an odd number. So maybe they weren't counting today's Warburg game, which would make it four four. And the th- you know the thing that stands out to me about both of those teams is that a lot of times when one beats the other, that ends up being the kind of result that gets them into the playoffs. Which plays back into your point that you made about Guilford that these teams that go out and schedule tough early season matchups. You know, because you have access to the AQ, you have a chance to, um, you know, to earn your way into the playoffs anyway. But if you do get stuck at nine and one or eight and two, and you have that uh, that win over a team like a Bethel or a Warburg, you know, it, it's going to help you get in on uh, selection Saturday night slash Sunday. As far as my teams that'll take a fall, I think it's probably pretty easy to say Texas Lutheran, 18th ranked team lost, 19th ranked Bethel lost, 22 ranked Chapman lost, number 23 Muhlenberg. Um, Those are all obvious choices, but I have a hard time dinging a team like Chapman, like Bethel that lost to a top 10 team. And I don't think you can punish Wartburg for not dominating Bethel either because they went out and played a, a team of Bethel's caliber. I do have a team that won, which would potentially drop off my ballot if they were on it at all to begin with. Washington and Jefferson went back and forth with Westminster, Pennsylvania all night and pulled out the 35-31 victory when Ryan Ruffing scored with a minute and four seconds left. The Titans led that game, though, 16-7 and 24-14. And even after W&J scored two touchdowns to take the lead, Westminster scored again with 226 left to go up 31-28, and, uh, and W&J ended up scoring the winning touchdown on that one. Now, Westminster was 4-6 and six the past two seasons. They haven't finished above 500 since 2002. So, you know, all due respect to W&J for pulling out the win, but I don't think that's the 14th best team in, uh, in D3 right now. Uh, to me, if I understand correctly, you don't think they're even the 25th best team, right? You just said they're not on your ballot? I don't think I've had them on my ballot. I think that them and Wittenberg I've kind of had hanging around uh, the top, the end of the top 25, um, looking for, for a reason to, to put them in. And, and these are the kind of games that, you know, that, that knock you out. The type of games that get you in are the games when, especially when you're in a conference that you dominated and, you know, you really only have one or two teams that, uh, that give you a lot of trouble. You know, you look forward to W and J and, uh, and, and Thomas Moore playing later in the season. I'm going to go off the beaten path for this next highlight, and I'm going to take one from the last game of the night where Cal Lutheran outscored Pacific Lutheran 20 to nothing in the second half without their starting quarterback to give the uh, Lutes from SoCal a 30-26 to win versus the Lutes from the Pacific Northwest. Uh, the Kingsmen took the lead on a 39-yard touchdown pass from Adam Friedrichson to Trevor Wood with 3.03 left and held on down the stretch. Here's how it sounded on the Kingsmen's video broadcast. Here it is. Here's your football game in Thousand Oaks. Empty backfield for Shaw. Throws, low to the ground, incomplete. Cal Lutheran has held, and a ball intended for Justin Lind, and Cal Lutheran, all they need to do is kneel down. They are going to win this contest. What a comeback. Nice way for the Skyac to salvage the night after Linfield had crushed Chapman. Redlands lost a second-year program, George Fox, and Whitworth had blown Whittier out as well. Now, Claremont did beat Lewis and Clark, and Oxy beat Puget Sound, but the Skyac contenders had all lost in those games with the uh, Northwest Conference. 
Yeah, for me to go off the beaten path, I have to ask, how can I choose just one? You go by our preseason 1 to 247 ranking and our preseason um, preview edition kickoff. Number 245, Becker won. Number 244, Minnesota Morris upset Greenville. Number 240, Plymouth State won a 9-6 game against Mount Ida. Number 238, FDU Florham won, which you mentioned earlier. Number 235, Nichols won. Number 231, Rockford. Number 228, Lawrence. Number 226, Eureka. Number 222, Knox. They all won. Obviously, it, uh, you're just reading off schools. It sounds weird, but these are all schools that are generally the, the teams that are getting beat on Saturdays, not teams that are winning. And, and, you know, several of them beat teams ranked similarly low in the 200s, but some of them had some some pretty legitimate upsets. I, I think you mentioned probably the most impressive one, and this would be my off-the-beaten-path highlight, Second-year program, George Fox beating Redlands uh, and be doing it in dramatic fashion, too, scoring late in that game to, uh, to, to get what's the most impressive win easily to date for George Fox, but also, you know, just a, a really um, tough loss for Redlands, which is, you know, a team that usually challenges to win the Skyac as t- potentially playoff caliber team. Uh, that, that's a tough loss and certainly an off-the-beaten-path highlight for George Fox. Of the teams that Keith mentioned, the ones that really kind of stepped up and beat teams that were significantly ranked higher than them, uh, Becker, which beat MIT, uh, Minnesota Morris, which beat Greenville, which is perennially one of the contenders in that conference. Morris did that with just 120 yards of total offense, by the way. Uh, FTU Florham, even though TCNJ has been at the bottom of the end, Jack, uh, Florham has not, uh, has not fared well at all. As we mentioned, they've lost 19 in a row. Um, let's see, uh, Nichols beat Anna Maria, so they were favored to win that one. Rockford beat Rippon, that's a step up. Uh, yeah. Lawrence beat Maranatha, that's 228 over 247. Um, Eureka played somebody in their conference, of course, and a lot of those teams are ranked pretty lowly. And then uh, Knox beat Carlton, which is maybe a slight bit of a surprise. They scored twice in the final five minutes to win that game. But yeah, George Fox beating Redlands, that's a, that's a huge feather in the cap for the Northwest Conference. When we Remember, Keith, when we were ranking the Northwest Conference teams back in uh, August and ranking the Northwest Conference as, as a whole because of it, how much... Lewis and Clark and George Fox really drag down the collective ranking. Well, George Fox just did uh, did a huge favor for the Northwest Conference there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, when you rank conferences, you have to rank them as a whole, and you, you got to consider the bottom teams just like you consider the top teams. And and when your bottom team is beating good teams from other conferences, that certainly says a lot about the the strength of your conference. Uh, we've just talked about a lot of surprising results, uh, and we uh, ran through uh, some of them in, in pretty much detail. But uh, the one that was the most surprising to me might have been Becker defeating MIT. Uh, and just to break this down for you, Becker was second to last last year in one of the worst conferences in Division Three, and appeared to be destined to be in a similar spot here in 2015. Lo and behold, they come up, jump out to a 23 halftime, 23 to six halftime lead on the Engineers. Now, you know, often these sorts of leads are short-lived as the more veteran team tends to even it out in the second half. But Becker held on against the engineer's onslaught, and Jacob Holmes scored on a 47-yard touchdown pass and kicked the extra point to make it a two-score game again. Big day for Holmes in the 37-26 win, and you can read more about that on the D3Football.com homepage. Um, But when I picture an engineer's onslaught, I envision a bunch of requirements documents, long conference calls, and a huge checklist of software items that need to be tested. Shades of a job I had a few years back where, oddly enough, I was helping build a news website. I've got no segue from that, but I do have a surprising result that we haven't yet mentioned. How about Bluffton beating Baldwin Wallace? That's a Heartland team 
beating one from the mighty OAC. And when we talk about conference rankings, the, the HCAC is, is usually down there pretty low because they perform poorly in, uh, in non-conference games. Now, the Yellow Jackets, the, the Baldwin-Wallace Yellow Jackets, are a little farther removed than I had originally thought when I looked this up from going toe-to-toe with Mount Union. It was 2011 when the Purple Raiders needed a late score to, to beat Baldwin-Wallace 25-20, and then the Yellow Jackets were just 500 last season. But this was a convincing win for Bluffton. 38-26 by the Beavers, same Beavers who lost last week to Bil- Wilmington, which is usually the dregs of the ODAC. So that's a heck of a bounce back. They rushed for nearly 200 yards as a team. Micah Roberson had 12 catches. And Ryan, let's talk pronunciations, Ryan Elker. Am I saying that right? Well, that would be how I would pronounce it anyway. All right, good. Uh, he did a Q&A with us in kickoff. And as awesome as kickoff is, we don't have live audio pre- <laughs> so, we, so we can hear pronunciations correctly. But he had uh, two big sacks for Bluffton in that one. And meantime, uh, for Baldwin Wallace, you know, see what happens when Yellow Jackets get rid of their hyphen. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, a mad dash for the exits on that one. Um, and uh, again, uh, uh, just a, another way to show the, the teams that make the big uh, the big improvement between week one and week two. Also for Bluffton, I, I know they uh, had some uh, big dedication for new turf at their home stadium. So I know it was excitement, but my goodness, um, Baldwin Wallace... Uh, the Baldwin Wallace losing, um, you know, uh, Marietta losing last week, big to Denison, um, the Heidelberg Cortland state score. We were already talking about, you know, the OAC kind of, um, needing in a position where they might slip back behind the empire eight because of a, a couple of those head to head games. But this one is more puzzling than anything that happened last week. Well, the depth of, of the OAC is getting a little weird for sure, because you have, um, Obviously, this puzzling puzzling result. You have Wilmington now uh, having beaten a team that that uh, Baldwin Wallace lost to. So you know, the, whatever the transient score property <laughs> means. Right now, yeah. right now, we think Wilmington is better than Baldwin Wallace, which is right. I don't I don't know if those words have ever come out of our of our mouths. Um, uh, and then to, uh, 2000 or 1999, when Wilmington joined the uh, OAC, might be the last time that happened. Well, it's a long time ago, and, and then. You know, the weird thing about the OAC right now is it's a lot of times it's been like four or five teams deep and, you you know, it sends a second team to the playoffs and that second team does well. And that's that's why it keeps bumping up the conference rankings, even though um, sometimes the bottom part of the conference is not too strong. Well, in this case, you have two really, really strong teams right now, John Carroll and Mount Union at the top, not just Mount Union alone. And then you just have these I guess right now eight other teams that we can't quite figure out. Let's go to the stat of the week, and for mine, I'm going to dig back to Thursday night for a game that featured a little defense, uh, especially in the second half. Maryville held East Tennessee State scoreless after halftime and eked out a touchdown to win 28-21 and give D3 a rare win against the Division I FCS scholarship program. The Scots gave up just 112 yards of total offense in the second half on 38 plays. Now, you know, obviously, ETSU is not a particularly established program. It's just the second game since they brought the program back. But a win on the road in front of what appeared to be a legitimate uh, attendance of uh, 7,300 fans is a really good win for Maryville and a great reminder to the rest of you that we in Division Three will not stand in awe of a few kids with scholarships. My stats of the week. See, I paused to let that of a few kids with scholarships. I'll let that breathe a little bit. Thanks, man. All right. I got two stats of the week. Um, one is from the Cortland State, Framingham State game. Uh, had a wild finish. The Red Dragons led 47-28 and 54-36. 
and the Rams cut it to five with a minute 18 left, and they actually went for two. They attempted a conversion that would have made it 54-51, and then after all that craziness, Cortland uh, picks up a fumble and scores with two seconds left to make it a 61-49 final. But none of those things I just mentioned are my stat of the week. The, 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 the crazy part about this is Framingham State had three wide receivers with at least nine receptions. Cortland State had three who had catches of 58 yards or longer. And my, my second set of stats is from uh, Loris, uh, Wisconsin Stout. Now, Loris outgained UW Stout 792-534, to and they lost 52-42. Loris had 11 penalties for 99 yards. Stout just had one for five. Loris had a receiver with 14 catches, and he wasn't even their leading receiver because they had a guy with 15 catches. He had two 200-yard receivers, a 100-yard receiver, and a 125-yard rusher. They put up nearly 800 yards of offense and did not win that game. Uh, Stout, uh, Loris getting called for more penalties at home. Texas Lutheran, you mentioned those 15 penalties. They were at home also. It's not easier at home, guys. Uh, you don't always get the great calls, and that didn't happen, uh, that didn't happen obviously, for, for Loris on Saturday. Um, let's, 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 uh, slip visit, uh, all the way back to Monday, Monday. No, triple takes on a Monday, triple takes on Friday. Good. That's much easier. I only have to go back to Friday for triple take. Um, and look at the bad predictions and the good ones. We'll start with the bad ones. Uh, I will <laughs> freely admit, uh, my pick of, uh, Johns Hopkins and Susquehanna being surprisingly close was not surprisingly close at all as the Blue Jays won 59 to seven. I could try to make the claim that, oh yeah, well, 52 points is surprisingly close compared to what I thought it was. Yeah, no, no. Um, yep. Yep. Susquehanna looked pretty good last week against Lyco. And then uh, of course, Lyco comes out on Saturday and loses to, uh, loses 38 to 14 at Stevenson. So clearly those games have a little different perspective now. Uh, let's see. Ryan Tips' surprisingly close game was 47-11, uh, Whitworth over Whittier. So that was not particularly surprisingly close either, uh, if you care a whit about such things. Uh, I'm glad you read the joke. I thought you were going to skip right over it. <laughs> I've said enough bad jokes through the course of this podcast. What's the what's – the, why would I skip one more? I feel like the bad jokes just keep people – you know, make sure they're paying attention because you get a tweet or like an email every now and again and say, yeah, that bad joke, that, that was pretty funny. You and know what you know, I – you know, Just to know that people are making making it to the end of the podcast. That's true. You know what I haven't done so far, although we're, we still have almost half a podcast left, I haven't made up a word either last week or this week, created a fake word out of nothingness in the middle of the podcast. Maybe the new thing this year is mispronouncing names or something. We can... All right, let's keep it moving. Uh, we had some good predictions in Triple Take, and in all honesty, jokes aside, this is why we think Triple Take is important. You know, it's 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 not really so much to put ourselves out there so people can either you know make fun of us or, or pat us on the back afterward but um there's just so many games 90 to 100 110 games any given weekend it helps to have pat and ryan and i boil it all down and uh you know give you seven predictions each games that you should be looking out for looking for upsets pat you called the harden simmons win over 18th ranked texas lutheran both Ryan and I picked uh, Franklin and Marshall to upset Muhlenberg. So all three of us predicted a top 25 upset. And that's one of the categories that's in there every week. Some weeks, you know, you look at that top 25 and you don't see much there that, uh, you know, that, that, that you don't see teams that, are, that look like they're going to lose. And so uh, uh, when we do call it, I think it's, it's worth pointing out. Uh, I came close on a couple of the Pennsylvania games. Uh, I said Gettysburg and Ursinus was surprisingly close. It was so surprisingly close that Gettysburg actually won. 
uh, 22-15, and that one was probably one we expected our sinus to win. I also put the Wilkes-Delval game in the in-state rivalries, um, and, and Wilkes pulled the upset, 12-7. Uh, Delval was was 0-5 in the red zone. That's kind of what did them in. But I didn't actually call that. <laughs> I, I in the, the very last line of my pick is, I'll go with Delval, so I, I guess I don't get full credit for that. Um, we also picked all picked teams that uh, that didn't play in week one, but opened up with impressive wins. North Central and Linfield maybe maybe obvious, uh, but we should give tips some credit for picking Ohio Northern to beat Utica. Um, and we all picked games that had a ripple effect. Uh, those were those were kind of obvious too, like Harden Simmons, Texas Lutheran games like that. So again, just a reminder that that one of the reasons we do triple take. Again, it's not to you know keep score between the three of us, but to just help you boil down all these different conference races, non-conference games, games you know 2,500 miles away from maybe where the game that's important to you on Saturday is. Uh, we just try to give you something to, uh, to 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 work with to make sense of it all. I'm not supposed to be keeping score. I mean, you can keep score in your head, but you know, don't buy yourself a trophy. <laughs> I could just buy myself a trophy, put it right here on my desk. This is an audio podcast, so nobody would ever know. True. <laughs> if it ever ended up in a, an episode of Hoopsville, you might be able to figure it out then. Uh, that's a basketball thing. All right, moving on, a lightning round. Uh, I'm going to start with Finlandy. Ouch. Uh, you'll notice they did not fit into the theme of uh, new teams getting started or positive things happening to new and or young teams. Um, it just was, uh, it was a, a painful game at Wisconsin Oshkosh, 86, nothing, the final score. Uh, and it's not going to get any better next week. It's, it's going to be, a, it's a difficult build for them. And I, I know I mentioned this uh, somewhere. Uh, I thought it was on a previous podcast, one of the two. Um, but uh, you know, when, uh, when coach Driscoll was hired, at Finlandia, they'd already had the first four games on the schedule set. Set so Alma, and then Oshkosh, and then Whitewater, and Wisconsin Stevens Point. What a what a great uh, schedule to inherit. Yeah, I mean those are games that make sense geographically, but they don't make sense when you're have you have a startup program and you're playing some of the best programs in the country. The Whitewater one, um, you know, for Whitewater, I'm sure they took the game just to have a D three opponent, but. Um, but yeah, a Finlandy ouch. We'll, that, that could be your made up word for the week. There you go. Yeah, okay. Or the bad pun. Either way. Uh, we mentioned Thomas Moore outscoring their first two opponents, 132 to 7. Kind of makes me wonder how much of it is the, the talent that they had on hand um, and how much of it is new coach Regis Scaife, who um, turned a John Carroll team over to Tom Arth and then watched it immediately shoot into the stratosphere. Now he's doing the same thing with Jim Hilbert's team uh, after Hilbert left. Uh, last, at the end of last season for a high-profile high school job in the Cincinnati, in the Cincinnati area. Yeah, you know, Keith, um, I kind of felt like at the end of Scaife's tenure at John Carroll, they were just trying to get him out the door because they really wanted Tom Arthur to take over. It was like Scaife was kind of persona non grata after he'd uh, coached uh, really well and uh, been at John Carroll for quite a long time. Yeah, and I think he's certainly landed on his feet in, in uh, a program that's uh, been solid and could use that that uh, expertise. But to, to see them get off to such a surprisingly good start, like we mentioned last week, the beating St. John Fisher wasn't so much of a surprise as the margin they did it with. You know, you look at the uh, the the, um, the Hanover win. Obviously, it's uh, they're you know they're not nearly as strong a team. So maybe as much as we praise the uh, the Thomas More talent, we we also have to acknowledge maybe there's a there's a lack of talent uh, at Hanover right now. 
Let's see. Uh, North Park had a pretty convincing win in week one. And uh, here in week two, they rallied from a 28-10 deficit uh, to take a lead with a minute 45 left on a 99-yard fumble return. But St. Norbert had a huge fourth down conversion on the following drive and took the lead back with 22 seconds left and tacked on a pick six on a Hail Mary to win 41-31. You know, Keith, uh, St. Norbert was kind of uh, aimlessly wandering the woods there for a couple years. They're on their third head coach in three seasons. But so far here in... Uh, through the first two weeks of the season, they're kind of working their way up the CCIW ladder. They beat uh, Carthage handily. They did pretty well at North Park, and they look like they might be pretty decent again. Yeah, and and you know that was a for years under under Jim Perto, that was pretty much the best team in the Midwest Conference. So good to see them getting uh, back on their feet. St. Lawrence, we must have mentioned the St. Lawrence Norwich result. <laughs> 10 times in the podcast. So if you're a longtime listener, you know that last year Norwich won that game 10 to 7, and it ended up being the game that we think kept uh, St. Lawrence out of the playoffs because all they had was a two point loss to Hobart. They ended up finishing 8 and 2 and, and out of the postseason. Had they been 9 and 1 with the two point loss to Hobart, you have to figure they would have been in. Well, they avenged that loss quite thoroughly on Saturday. It was 42 28, really wasn't that close. They led 42 7, about six minutes left in the third. Uh, you know, big game for uh, for Mike Leffelbein and those guys, but uh, but wasn't wasn't huge numbers. He had three touchdown passes, but just 177 yards passing. There 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 weren't really uh, crazy numbers, but that's got to be a good monkey to get off uh, off the back for St. Lawrence, especially after the loss to Marshall State in Week One. One of the big rivalry games, of course, was played this week. It's the Secretary's Cup. That uh, goes to Merchant Marine. They defeated Coast Guard 14-3. Uh, Matt McDaniels, you may remember him. He's the uh, option quarterback for the Mariners. He's still around. Uh, just one of five passing, a 20-yard touchdown, but 23 carries for 114 yards. And and uh, Luke Tiefenthaler, 23 carries for 172 yards for the Mariners as well in that win. Yeah, Mighty Mikey would be proud. We briefly mentioned Whitewater, but again, we should acknowledge uh, Coach Kevin Bullis got his first win in, in the defending national champions, made it look easy in a 62-6 win at Bellhaven. Bullis, of course, is the coach who took over for Lance Leipold. All six of the Warhawks national championships came with Leipold at the controls, and he's now at, uh, at Buffalo. They won their opener in D1, and they played Penn State on Saturday. Um, but for uh, those of us over here in, in D3, uh, and it was a big deal to to see uh, the national champions hit the ground running. And running was really the way they did it. It was Jordan Ratliff, Dennis Moore, and Nick Patterson. Those guys are all healthy, uh, and they ran for 247 yards on 30 carries. And uh, Chris Nelson, the guy who made his first start at quarterback for the for the Warhawks, only had to throw the ball nine times. Um, so a uh, yeah, a, a, an easy victory and, and a, a tough first two weeks in Division Three for Bellhaven. Hello. Division three, oh. it's not easy. That's all I'm trying to say. Oh, I got you. I got you. You said hello. I actually thought you lost the connection for a second there. <laughs> uh, yeah, Skype's uh, Skype's doing all right for us so far. Knock on wood. All right. It's um, great. Let's see. Wesley. West, yeah, they got their first NJAC victory. But it was uh, against a team that they already play pretty often. Uh, they beat Frostburg State 44-3. So I guess, uh, you know, at some point they'll play an actual New Jersey athletic conference New Jersey team or a team that they haven't played on a regular basis. Uh, certainly Joe Callahan picked up where he left off. He had a really good game on Saturday. 
Yeah, five touchdown passes, no interceptions, 424 yards passing. Uh, Wesley, 704 yards of total offense to just 201 for Frostburg State. So you kind of wonder how Wesley was going to bounce back after that 70-21 to 21 loss in the semifinals at Mount Union. Clearly, they've put it behind them, and they are uh, looking forward to, uh, to this new season in the NJAC. One of those great ACFC rivalry games right there. That's true. That's going way back. Yeah, it is. Um, let's see. You know, Jackson, Mississippi just didn't fare well at all on Saturday. Uh, the other team, of course, is uh, Mill Saps and Mary Harden Baylor crushed them. Yeah, and and it was that was another one that was sort of um, not over from the start, but it was all Mary Harden Baylor in the first half. Thirty nine nothing at the half. Sixty five twelve is the final. I tried to peek in on that game, but uh, every time I I looked, you know, there was uh, Mary Harden Baylor was kicking off again, so it wasn't a whole lot for me to watch. Oh. There, uh, <laughs> ouch! It you know just happens that way sometimes, and you know Millsaps is a is a fairly decent program. It's not the same as say the Oshkosh, you know, playing a startup in in Finlandia, and you see the score, and you can um, you know just kind of gloss over it. And this one, you know, sixty five twelve, Mary Harden Baylor, um, um, you know, doing a little bit of what they they always do: six hundred five yards of offense, three hundred sixty three of that was rushing. They limited Millsaps to only thirty eight yards rushing. So the question. Um, you know, maybe are they even better on defense than they are on offense right now? I was just looking. You could have tuned in 12 times and seen Mary Harden Baylor kickoffs. That's how many times they kicked off on Saturday. Uh, there was one other thing I wanted to throw in here on the fly. Uh, remember that we talked a lot last year about how crazy the Rose Holman Illinois College game was. It was not quite as epic this time. Uh, it was over in regulation, but uh, Rose Holman defeated Illinois College 51 to 33. Austin Swenson, if you've heard of him, he's the Rose Holman quarterback. We've definitely mentioned his name before. 42 of 57 passing for 472 yards and five TDs for the. Oh. Fighting engineers, and that's fighting with an apostrophe. Engineers, and, and that score will come up again. Fifty-one plus thirty-three is eighty-four, and I believe that's this was one of the kickoff twenty <laughs> questions questions right. that will get get reviewed by Ryan Tips at the uh, end of the season. I know I picked I think sixty-four points, so I don't think I get a point for that one. <laughs> All right, that's the so uh, one time we do keep score. <laughs> that's true, we do, and I kind of forget that we keep score. Uh, until uh, I read that column in December, it's like, oh yeah, we did those things. They count for something, you know, where the points are made up and nothing matters, or everything's yes. made up and the points don't matter. Jeez. Well, we're usually so fried by the end of putting kickoff together that it's, you know, it's just amazing that we can actually finish the twenty questions. <laughs> no more or less fried than at the end of a podcast at uh, two thirty-eight Eastern in the morning. Well, that sounds like a good good uh, note to wrap up on then. <laughs> yeah, we do have uh, next week's games to look forward to. Uh, and, if, for example, I know St. Thomas fans are always already looking ahead to the Tommy-Johnny game because St. Thomas has a bye this week. I know St. John's certainly isn't, though. St. John's goes to Concordia-Moorhead, and the uh, Johnnies haven't beaten Concordia home or away since 2011. So uh, they've got a, a lot to, uh, to take care of here before that game comes up uh coming up next week uh, let's see wesley's hosting christopher newport uh linfield hosts redlands oh, interesting to see if uh, redlands can bounce back uh john carroll at heidelberg remember keith that this game was always at the end of the season the last couple years and now it's back uh, now it's out at the beginning of the season where we get uh we get some data really early Oh, and, and we love data maybe as much <laughs> as as much as anyone in in the d3 sense because we you just you know, some teams just can't quite figure out, and especially you know, you look at a Heidelberg uh, had that first Cortland State game 
one play gone a different way, we'd be looking at them as potentially a, a power team, a team with the with the potential to creep into the rankings. Now you just want to see if they can stay on the same field with uh, with John Carroll. Let's see. This will be a game between top twenty-five teams. Uh, North Central goes to Wisconsin Platteville. It's been a, a good matchup the past couple of years. Uh, Hobart and Ithaca. So Hobart goes to Ithaca, and uh, you know this is a good step up in the non-conference schedule for Hobart. Oh yeah, and and of course uh, two of the you know best traditions, I guess. In, uh, in the I, I, I said that wrong. Like the most the most traditionally dominant teams of say the past. 25 years in in upstate New York. Ithaca had a great run, mostly in the in the early 90s, but has been pretty solid throughout. Hobart's been great since Mike Craig has been there. It's been maybe 15 years, and they they've been solid. They're to the point now where they're you know putting players in the NFL. So that's a that's a huge game, I think, for us just interest wise. Let's see. Also, uh, uh, Keith mentioned uh, Louisiana College at Texas Lutheran. Um, let's see. Wittenberg hosts Ohio Wesleyan. Uh, North Park goes to Oshkosh. It, it, usually, you'd think that this would be another blowout, but I don't. You know, maybe North Park has a chance to uh, be competitive or at least hang in this one. They've been, yeah, they've been slowly coming back to not just respectability, but you know, you you don't you don't just glaze over them when you see them on the schedule now. And there was certainly a time where we we did that, and uh, now now you kind of take them seriously. I, I think um, also next week you got the some Empire 8 games getting underway. Um, Morrisville State in, in Utica is just you know one of the random ones that, that popped off the schedule, but I think that Empire 8 is pretty much every week we're going to be looking at that one and, and, and trying to figure out where everybody belongs. So we've got a couple of Maritime games over the over the upcoming weekend. SUNY Maritime crosses the bay to go to Merchant Marine. You were the one I was talking to, right, when we were trying to figure out uh, it's like a mile across the water, but it's like... 18 yeah. minutes by bus or something like that. I think it's even worse than that. It was like like a 30 minute or 28 minute drive or whatever, yeah, whatever it was to get around there. But if you just had a boat, which you think maritime folks would, you, <laughs> might. you could just shoot right across. <laughs> you would think that. Uh, let's see. Admirals Cup between uh, Maine Maritime and Massachusetts Maritime. They continued that rivalry, even though they're not uh, both in the same conference anymore. Yeah, I got that right. I thought for a second I was painting myself into a corner that I couldn't get out of. <laughs> Um, of course, the uh, let's see the the MAC schedule starts up next week. Uh, the MIAC schedule starts up next week. Uh, got a lot of conference games. The SAA uh, schedule, yeah, this is an SAA game, a, a classic SAA matchup between Millsaps and the University of Chicago, Keith. Uh, well, yeah, that's that's not one that we would normally think of as classic, but Chicago's uh, spending some time in the SAA as an affiliate. <laughs> Remember, so drifting through so, for two years. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a conference game right now, and you know those things take getting used to, and that I guess that's one of the things that's different every year. You know, you kind of come back in, and you're like, huh, "How is Carnegie Mellon in, in the in the pack now, or whatever?" You know, whatever the case may be, and that and that's one of them. Chicago, Millsaps, uh, Chicago, the, you know, Illinois and Mississippi conference game. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there are a bunch of other games coming up next week, and you'll see them uh, listed on our website. As uh, as we close, I wanted to throw one final shout-out to a game that uh, was so far below the radar. We didn't uh, mention it until right now. Uh, Southwestern beating McMurray 7-6. to uh, So uh, 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 as, uh, a week after McMurray uh, looked pretty good in uh, week one against East Texas Baptist, they look completely different against Southwestern, a team that's only been playing football again for a little bit over two years. That's the way it is in D3. Yeah, that's a wild, that's a wild swing of results because Southwestern gave up 
77 to Harden Simmons in, in week one. So, you know, you got the big bounce back from Bluffton. You got that bounce back. Uh, the George Fox is, a, is another startup team uh, with, with a win and, and maybe portends. After you know, For a few years down the line, there's hope for Finlandia, even though the, the days right now are, are kind of rough. That wraps up the Around the Nation podcast for the week of the 15th of September, the 14th of September. Uh, I will say this. Thank you to everybody who sent us Play of the Week nominations uh, last week. We got 22 of them, several uh, long after the deadline. And this uh, week in particular, uh, we're not going to be in a good position to accept late nominations. So please, by 5 p.m. Eastern time on Monday, send us a clip. It would be awesome if it still had the audio, although I know that you know your uh, your video ingestion systems automatically strip all that stuff out. I get that. Um, so we'll have that. We'll have our around the region columns, of course, uh, on Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, Ryan Tips' snap judgments you've already seen. They were on the site on uh, Sunday, and he'll have a column on a Thursday. And of course, more coverage of Division Three throughout the entire week, uh, culminating with Triple Take, which is our three-headed prediction star for Week Three which will hit the site on Friday morning. He's Keith McMillan. I'm Pat Coleman, and thank you for listening to the Around the Nation podcast.